why don't we talk? Let's talk. We are doing a series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And at the beginning of the series, I gave you a book challenge. Pick up the book by Andy Stanley. It's called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. And if you read it, I give you two, uh, there's two guarantees. I will meet with you to talk to you about your big decision one-on-one if you buy the book and read it. You have to read it first. Uh, and then we can meet and talk about that. And the second part of that challenge was if you don't find that it helps you with your big decision, I will buy your book back personally. And if it's a digital book that you purchase, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just paying you. And I won't get your digital book. But that is the challenge. Where some of us are walking through it because we really do believe that this is a great book that can help us. So today we're jumping into that series uh, for the third week. And I'd like to start by making a couple statements. A couple statements that you may or may not like. I don't care because they're true. Number one, you have participated in all of your bad decisions. And number two, you may have sold yourself on the bad idea that has led to some of your bad decisions. First one, you have participated in 100% of all your bad decisions, all of them. Worse, worse than that, you were the mastermind behind your bad decisions. You were the mastermind. And why do I say that you're the mastermind? Because in each one of your big, beautiful brains that could have gone to an Ivy League school, some of you did, but those big, beautiful brains, every single one of you has a little sales associate living in your brain. A little sales associate, and and that he or she is selling you on your ideas. Uh, you You were the chief salesperson in the decisions that you made. What do I mean? Well, as soon as you see something you want, as soon as you see a person that you want, as soon as you get invited into something that you're interested in, as soon as there's something that inflames your appetite for more, what do you do? What do you do? You do the same thing that I do. We start selling ourselves. We sell ourselves on the idea. And uh, what's interesting is that sometimes we sell ourselves. And what we do is we lie to, each other, lie to ourselves, and then we believe the lies that we make up. We make up things, and then we choose to believe the things that we make up. We can sell ourselves on almost anything. And what I've found is, and what you found is, we can actually sell ourselves on a bad decision. Decisions that are unwise. Here's what I want you to do. Think of anything in the world ever, anywhere, And you can see that it's littered with bad decisions. They sold themselves. You you think of someone you know, they sold themselves on on something. Think of a neighbor or a friend. Don't think of yourself, you know, because you've made only good decisions. But think of a neighbor, friend, or a relative or whatever. They sold themselves on something. They sold themselves right into relational ruin. A decision led to a decision which led to a decision which led to a ruined relationship. They sold themselves into debt. They made a decision which led to a decision which led to a decision which means, oh my gosh, we are filing for bankruptcy. They sold themselves on a decision that led to a decision to led to to a decision, and now they're divorced. They sold themselves into moral failure or maybe losing friends. The The list is endless. People do it all the time. People do it all the time. People sell themselves on all of their bad decisions, on their bad decisions, and we have all participated in those bad decisions. Now, if we all have the propensity uh, to make bad decisions, and if all of us are 100% responsible, or at least participants in our bad decisions, and we've sold ourselves on that, 
Um, there has to be a way for us to pause in between the moment we think of the idea and then when we make the decision. Do you know that mental period where you're working through it but you haven't made the decision? Somewhere along the line between, you know what, I think I want to do that thing and I've done the thing. There has to be something mentally, emotionally, spiritually that can help us, that can guide us in that moment. We have to learn to be able to pause long enough in order to make a healthier, better decision. Well, thank goodness you're here today because there is a story in the Bible that helps us understand it and there is a God who gives us the tools to be able to do that. All right, are you with me? Do we understand that between the time you feel it and the time you decide it, there needs to be something that happens, right? You need to be able to pause, okay? So we're gonna talk about that and uh, before I do, let's welcome God's presence and let's pray, okay? So God, we welcome you here once again. We thank you for your, uh, we thank you that we got to worship you this morning. I um, thank you that, uh, the, that what, what's happening here is from you, yet you want to do something. So God, we pause. We want to hear from you. We want to know your will. We want to experience you. So God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should, that you'd be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so this is the story, I'm going to tell you a story, of King David and King Saul. Now, King David was Israel's second king. He wasn't the first king. We'll get to the first king in a minute. It was King David was Israel's second king. And the fun thing about David is that he wasn't born a royal he would never be a royal. <laughs> he was just a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd boy. And he used to keep sheep. And he was the runt of his family. There's like about, like what, 12 sons? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. And he was the little guy. And what happened is, one day, the armies of Israel were fighting the Philistines. And he rose to massive fame because no one wanted to fight this bad guy named Goliath, who was a giant. He was like eight or ten feet tall, or something really big. I'm, he was very big, and he had a big knife and a big sword, and he would go out there and he'd go, fee, fi, fo, fum, let's fight against the Israelites. And David, you guys know the story, David was like, who, how dare someone defy the armies of God? And so this little teenager runs out onto the battlefield with a slingshot and some stones, and he kills him. He kills Goliath. And you can imagine... What happens after that? This is the story of success of David. He immediately rises to become one of the most famous people in Israel. In fact, they used to write songs about him. How many of you have a song written about you? That's right. David did because he killed a giant. All right? He's legendary. Now, pause on that. King Saul. King Saul was Israel's first king. Okay? Not Israel's second king. That's David. King Saul was Israel's first king. And Saul brings in David. He's like, wow, this guy's awesome, and he's famous. We're going to make him famous. We're going to make you a star, kid. They, he brings him in. He brings him into the royal family after his heroic act. And Saul did, gives David military prominence. So David is running around having military conquests, uh, and he's becoming more and more famous and more and more successful. Uh, and eventually, David marries Saul's 
daughter. So his father-in-law is now the king. So it's, now it's getting a little bit intermixed. It's everything's starting to mix. Everything's starting to blue. Dad, can I call you dad? No, no you can't call me dad. Call me, call me Saul. Uh, and he becomes so popular. He's becoming so popular. He's in the family. David is just clearly, and David had already been anointed to be the next king by a prophet. And he becomes so popular that Saul, all of a sudden, starts to feel threatened by David. He starts to feel threatened and because he's threatening his dynasty because somewhere in the line, he wanted his own son to be king, not David. And so one day, all of a sudden, he just loses it, and he chucks a spear at David, and he tries to kill him. And he's like, get out of here, I'm going to kill you, all right? And so David is like, what? <laughs> what? And he flees. He flees into the wilderness, and he flees and runs away, and he can't go home because he doesn't want to endanger his family. So he becomes this outlaw in the wilderness, and somewhere along the line, he runs across all these other fugitive men that are on the run that, have, uh, that the king dislikes, and so he builds his own little team of merry little men, kind of like Robin Hood. Imagine Robin Hood running through the forest. And so David has this group of little mighty men, merry men, whatever you want to call them. They're just like him, and they're taking care of each other. And every time Saul comes over here to try to kill him, they run over here. And every time he comes over here, they run over there. Uh, so they're always on the run from Saul. And Saul was busy running the kingdom, but Saul is always on the lookout for David. Saul is always looking to try to kill David. Saul has spies everywhere looking to try to kill David. And David and his merry little men are always like just a little bit clever, just a little bit ahead of the curve. And so um, that brings us to today's story. So one day, Saul gets a report. Saul gets a report that David is in the region of Engedi. And in Engedi, it's nothing but, I, I want you to imagine when you go to Palm Springs and then you leave the Palm Springs area, and it's all the other stuff, like the dirt and the rocks and the nothing else, but lots of caves. That's in Getty. It's Palm Springs without the pools, okay? <laughs> it's full of caves. Uh, there's an oasis sprinkled, you know, there's an oasis sprinkled in here and there, much like Palm Springs. And it's full of caves and mountains. And David and his merry little men are hiding out in this area. So Saul goes, all right, saddle up your horses. And so they gather, he gathers 3,000 men, which is a little excessive for David. Uh, it's too many for one guy. And they set out on this journey into the region of Engedi to try to kill David. You're going to try to kill him, okay? So you have 3,000 men, and you can imagine there's horses, and there's wagons, and there's a bunch of caves everywhere, and they're going through. And so in the story, there's this moment, and this is pretty amazing. So they're in Engedi, and there's all these caves. There's 3,000 men, wagons, horses. Uh, Saul's on a, on a mule. Uh, they stop the whole procession, okay? They stop. And what happens is, and it's even in the text. It's, this is the only time I think it's in the Bible. Saul gets off his horse, goes up to a cave to relieve himself. Saul has to go to the bathroom, Okay? And this is very important because this is where the story takes place. So he has to go to the bathroom big time. And you can imagine the, 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 the so pictures, there's 3,000 men. There's all these wagons and everything stops. And they're like, well, what are we stopping for? And you watch the king mosey on up 
till he goes into the cave and his eyes are adjusting in the darkness. He gets off, he goes into the cave and everyone's just kind of waiting for him in the cave while he does his business. And get this, here's where it takes a really interesting twist. He goes into the cave. He's in the cave doing his business. And David and his merry men are in the same cave. I know, I know, I, I know. They're in the cave. They're in the same cave. They're actually in the very same cave that David, he's using it as a private bathroom. They're fighting for their lives, okay? And there, he's in the cave, and he can't see them because, you know, when you're ever out in the sunlight and you go indoors, you're like, your eyes have to adjust. His eyes are adjusting. He's disrobing, doing his business. They're just a little bit further back in the cave. And what are the odds? I mean, there are no odds. This is like God you have answered my prayer. My enemy has been delivered into my hands. Talk about God smiling upon David. I mean, this is the best case scenario. This is the answer to David's prayer. David's enemy is in his hands. Think about it. David had already been anointed king by God. Also, everybody knows in the whole country that he is the next guy in charge. He's going to be the next king. Everyone knows it. And the only thing standing in David's way is Saul, who's, how do I put this? In a position of vulnerability. He's in the most vulnerable position. And, he, and here he is. And we don't even have to guess what's going through David's mind and what's going through David's Mary's men's mind. In fact, they actually whisper it to him in the back of the cave, and you can actually see this. Look at this verse. It's the first verse on our thing. It's in 1 Samuel 24, 4. So they're in the back of the cave, and they're like, David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Why did they say this? Well, because, you know, these merry men and him, they're on the trail. They're always on the run. And he's probably telling them with them that they're at the campfire at night. He's like, stick with me, guys. Just stick with me. Soon I'm going to be king, and I'm going to make everything better. And we won't be outlaws. I'll totally forgive what you did to the thing, and then I'll bring you into my kingdom. You'll be a part of my team. So, and they're sticking with him because one day he's going to be king. And so they're whispering in his ear. They're like, bro, the wait is over. Just kill him, and this thing, can, we can all go home. We can just all go home right now. He's right here. Everyone wants you king. They don't even like him. Just kill him. Get it, you know. And you can imagine what it's like to be one of Saul's men. They're all on their horses in the wagon. They're sitting out there. Saul's in there doing his business. Everyone knows, but they pretend like they don't know. And then it's, 10 minutes goes by, so they look at their watches. They look at their sundials. And they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out what time. Man, he's been out there. And then 10 minutes. So in, get this. In the cave, Saul walks. Out walks David with Saul's head flanked by his merry men. It would have been a bloodless, pretty much bloodless revolution. No civil war, no coup. And you can imagine the adrenaline. You can imagine the emotion and the pressure that David felt to act in this moment. We can't imagine it, but the story really does kind of show us something. And as the story unfolds in this moment where they're in the back of the cave... And Saul is going to the bathroom. We see that David felt something else. David felt attention. David felt attention. There was a hesitation. 
And so he ignored it, because that's what any one of us would do. He ignored it. And what we see in the text is he sneaks up behind Saul, and he's slowly creeping up. He whips out his knife, and he creeps up behind Saul. Saul's doing his business. And as he's creeping up, as he's getting closer and closer and closer, the tension keeps growing and growing and growing. There's something that he was initially maybe thinking that he should kill him, but now there's something churning in his heart and in his mind, and he can't bring himself to do it. There's something in the, between the moment of I'm going to do something and I've done something. There's something that happens between the back of the cave and Saul's throat. And David, David decides to make a change. There was a tension that didn't make any sense, but there's a tension that he suddenly changes and he decides that he's not going to murder Saul. And suddenly this hesitation that made no sense, it makes absolutely perfect sense. And you can almost picture it in David's mind, and the text we'll, we'll read in a second reveals that. But in the, between the back of the cave and Saul's throat, something happens where he goes, wait, 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 what am I doing here? I'm about to murder the king. I'm about to kill the king that God put in place for this time. I can't murder the king. I don't want this to be my legacy. I don't want this to be my story. Sure, I love when they sing songs about me when I kill Goliath, but I don't want them to sing songs, yeah, 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 you killed Saul. I don't want them to sing those songs. This is not the story I want to tell my grandchildren and my children and my grandchildren. This is not what I want them to hear. Granddaddy, <laughs> tell us how you became king again. Well, we love the story how, how you snuck up behind old King Saul and you cut his throat while he was going to the bathroom. Tell us that story again. No one wants to hear that. I mean, is that the story that I want to tell? And this story, the text tells us that David, somewhere between the pack of the cave and Saul's throat, becomes conscience-stricken. That something in his conscience changes. And somehow, with all this energy, all this adrenaline, all this testosterone, somewhere, he stopped. He stopped. And he stopped long enough to pay attention to this irrational tension. He stopped long enough to pay attention to his irrational conscience. He was able to stop. So, in, so here's how the story goes. Instead of killing Saul in this moment, he sneaks up. And Paul is, I mean, Saul is disrobed. So instead of killing him, he cuts off with his knife. He cuts off a corner of his garment and then sneaks back to his men. And when he gets back to his men, his men can't believe this. They're like, are you crazy? You had him in your hands. You could have done it. You, could, you have some explaining to do. And it's so much so that they even capture this in the text. Look in verse 6. Uh, he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed one of the Lord. Wait, David, now he's your master? Like three minutes ago, before he decided to go to the bathroom, he was your enemy. I don't understand. And the story goes on. Uh, and then they're, so they're like, come on, let me do it. Let me, they're, they're up there with him. They're like, come on, just, I, I know maybe you're trying to keep your hands clean. Just let us go up there and kill him for you. We'll be done with this. We'll get it over with. We'll get it over with. And there, you can tell there's a dialogue uh, because look at verse 7. He says, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. He doesn't let him, he doesn't let him do it. 
And so what we see here is that David lets him slip through his hands. He slips through David's hands. And Saul finishes up, and he leaves the cave. And we'll get back to, back to that story in a minute, but I have to pause and ask you a question. Are you close? Are you close on selling yourself on a bad idea? Are you close to ignoring your conscience? Is there an internal hesitation, an internal tension? Are you selling yourself on an idea that's going to follow you around for the rest of your life? Are you selling yourself on a decision that's going to make you a liar for life? What do I mean? That every time this part of your story comes up, you're just going to have to gloss over it. You're just going to have to lie about it. Are you telling a story are you going to make a decision that, like, you're going to have to lie to your kids or grandkids about? Like, oh, I don't, tell us that one part. Well, you know, I don't remember. Because it's a bad decision. Now, if you're in that position, are you, are, if you're close, now I, I can't tell you what to do. The only thing I can do is make a suggestion for you. Would you be willing to hit pause David was able to hit pause. Would you be willing to hit pause? For some of you, would you be willing to hit pause for like a day? Just like not decide for a day. For some of you hitting pause, it's like you should probably hit pause for a month. Some of you, it's such a big thing and you're in turmoil about it, you might need to pause for like a quarter, Q1, Q2. And some of you need to pause for a year. You just need to not make a decision for a year. Are you selling yourself? And if you are, would you be willing to stop selling yourself for a minute and pause? Would you be willing to pause and potentially listen to that tension that's going on inside of you? Back to the story. David... Let's him go. And Saul gets out. And Saul exits the cave. He has no idea how close he came to dying. And suddenly, the text goes, he hears a familiar voice. And it's coming from the direction of the cave that he just came out of. And he looks up in the direction of the cave. And he sees David coming out of the cave. And he's flanked by his merry little men. And David, in that moment, like, what does he do? The text says that he bows. And he bows very low in honor of Saul, the dude that has been chasing him around for the last period of time, trying to kill him. He bows before him in honor of the king. He honors the king in that moment in front of his merry men and in front of the 3,000 men. And then he stands up and he holds up the corner of Saul's robe. And in that moment, in this moment, and this is the thing I don't want you to miss, this is the moment that everybody, everybody, 
Saul, Saul's men, David's men, and David. Everybody knew that David was the better man. Everybody knew that David was the better man. And then David goes on to give this little speech, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long. Uh, But here's how it concludes. Verse 15. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. What's he saying here? Saul, at the end of the day, I follow God. I follow his truth. I follow him. And I believe that even though I had the moment, I had the power to do you harm, I would rather trust God in all of his power and all of his wisdom that he has more power than you and me. Saul, this is what he's saying to him, Saul, I am not your enemy. I am not your enemy, but Saul, I've been appealing to the God that knows and sees everything. And Saul, in this moment, I am concerned that you are making an enemy out of God. So Saul, with that being said, I did the right thing, and I will continue to do the right thing by you, Saul. And Pax City, this is the thing. This is what's true for you, and this is what's true for me. We say in the moment, we say in the moment when we pause, we're going to do the right thing. I will do the right thing. I will do the right thing. I will not sell myself on an idea. I will trust in, this, in the Lord in this moment. I will trust in his provision. I will trust what his word says, even when I don't understand what's going on, even when there's pressure around me. I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not going to make a decision just because it's legal or just because my friends want me to or because my boss wants me to or I'm feeling pressure because this person is an evil, rotten person. And if I made this decision and did this thing, I would totally get this person and everyone wants this person to get because they're an evil, rotten person. And if I did, everyone would cheer me. I'm not going to do it. I will do the right thing. I will do the right thing. And you will do the right thing. I will not take matters into my own hands. And because of that, and because of that, because David listened to that, he was able to pay attention to that tension. That tension, that's something that was stirring up in him. David decided this. This is what he decided. I will not use your bad behavior as an excuse for bad behavior. So how about you? As you think about your option, you've got an option on the table. And how do I know that? Because we always have an option on the table. We always got something. And I'm not going to define your option because you already know what it is, and that's the Lord possibly talking to you. And the way you can identify the option that you need to think about or maybe pause is you're like, is that the one? That's the one. That's the one. That's the option. You're considering that big life change. You're thinking about posting something that's hurtful online. You're thinking about retaliating because of some new information that just came out. You're thinking about retaliating because of something you heard in the news. You're considering that thing that you've pretty much talked yourself into. The wheels are already turning. My question to you is this. Are you considering behaving badly because of someone else's bad behavior? Because of what they did to you? 
because of what they said to you, because of what they're trying to do to you, because of what other people want you to do? Are you considering becoming someone that you don't even like? Are you selling yourself? Listen, we rarely have to sell ourselves on the right thing to do. We rarely have to do that. So, all eyes turn from David to Saul. Almost feels like a movie, right? All eyes turn from David to Saul, and Saul is completely humiliated by David. But here's the interesting thing. He's not humiliated by David's military skill or his quick wit. He's humiliated by David's character. He's humiliated by David's self-control. He's humiliated by David's humility in the moment. And Saul has no choice. Gets back on that mule. He heads back to Jerusalem. And Saul and David live at peace from that moment. Until one moment later, Saul dies. And the Lord said, now's the moment. We can't take into our hands God's timing. Don't do it. Pause. And that is the power of paying attention to the tension. Now, your tension in your life right now may not include the opportunity to murder a king while he goes poo-poo. But I believe that the tension you're facing right now, it's real. It has real consequences. The decision that you have to make has real consequences if you don't figure it out. So what are you going to do with that tension? If there's something you can't quite put your finger on, hit pause. If there's something that someone has brought up to you and you're mad that they brought it up to you and you're like, ah, but then when you go home and you lay on your comfortable bed and your comfortable pill, you can't shake it. You're still thinking about it. It still bothers you. Here's my advice. Let it bother you. Don't rush through it. Don't push through in the moment. This may very well be God's way of protecting you from becoming your own worst enemy. And then we ask the question, whenever we have a decision to make and we have that tension, that feeling, and we need to pause, we pause and ask this question. It is the conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Which leads us to the decision I'm inviting every single person to make. And it's a decision you make now so that you have good decisions later. It's a decision to, I will be a certain way kind of decision so that when you're in the moment, you make a good decision. And the conscience decision is this. I will pause even when I can't pinpoint the cause of my hesitation. I will explore rather than ignore my conscience. In fact, making this decision now will help you make better and healthier decisions later. And you will regret less of your decisions. Somewhere between the moment of idea and execution, we have to learn to pause. We have to learn to pause.
Now, at the beginning of this talk, I mentioned uh, how each of us have participated in all of our bad decisions. Do you remember that? It's just a few minutes ago. And I'm so grateful that we follow a God who has a way for us to address our bad decisions at the source. You see, God understood that humanity had a problem with missing the mark. Humanity had a problem with evil. Humanity had a problem with sin. And if you've never heard the definition of sin, sin actually means missing the mark. We've missed the mark. And the Bible says that all of us have missed the mark from time to time. And the core reason that we make bad decisions, the real reason why we make bad decisions and why we sell ourselves on those bad decisions is because of this thing called sin. And we don't have to think very hard to know about this, to, to know that we've, we're in the boat with the rest of humanity. We've hurt others. We've done things that we are ashamed about. We've done things that make us feel guilty. We've done things that we've regretted. We've done things that have permanently damaged relationships in our life. We've done things that have hurt others. And there's just some decisions we've made that we wish we could have done differently. We don't like how it turned out. And God understood that. God understood you in the midst of those bad decisions that you've made. And he saw that in each of us, and he still decided to love us. He still decided to care about us. And he understood at the core level of our hearts, we didn't have the ability to break the decision cycle that we were in. And God understood it so much, and he understood us so much, and he loved us so much that what he did is while we were still making these bad choices, while we were still missing the mark, he sent his own son Jesus to address the problem of sin, humanity's worst enemy. And Jesus took on the problem of sin and he conquered it. Although that problem, he conquered it on the cross and he defeated it. And so for anyone who draws near to Jesus, that we see that Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection dealt with that core issue once and for all. Every person that turns to him can receive healing and forgiveness from the burden of our conscience and the burden of making bad decisions and not knowing the decision we need to make next, he is there with us. You and I are not alone when we have to address this issue. We have a Savior who can heal, it, heal us from it. And this leads us to the sentence we've been coming back to week after week in this series, which is only three weeks, but every, we come back to it every week, and this, it is this. And I want you to remember this, because this should give you hope in the middle of everything. And the question, it's the last, it's not on there? It doesn't say Jesus died? Okay. So, um, oh, okay, so here's the sentence. Jesus died, so I don't have to blank anymore. Just remember that. Jesus died, so I don't have to fill in the blank anymore. Jesus died even though I have participated in 100% of my bad decisions. It doesn't define me. I'm free. I can be a free person. Jesus died so I don't have to use your bad behavior to, as bad behavior for myself anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to sell myself on a bad idea anymore. I'm not alone. I have his Holy Spirit with me. Jesus died uh, so I don't have to, you fill in the blank for you anymore. You and I are not strong enough, but thank God we serve 
and are a part of a relationship with a God who reordered our hearts, he reordered our desires so that we can live free and we can make better decisions. Amen? Why don't we all stand?